I'm Peter Medlin. You are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. If this is your first time hearing the show, I've got great news. It's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are. And every educator we have on this podcast, everyone who's featured, whether they're a teacher, a coach, or professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. So we want you to be a part of this show with us. Tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the educators in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can send us an email with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. On this week's episode, Dominique Yackley. She's a fifth grade teacher at Founders Elementary School in DeKalb, Illinois. Now, Dominique was also just named a finalist for the Golden Apple Award for Excellence in Teaching. She was just one of 30 in the entire state of Illinois. I don't know if you know this or not, there are a lot of teachers, so it's kind of a big deal. We talked about embracing her students' culture sometimes through Takis even, which I'm a big fan of. We talked about putting her kids through math escape rooms. The fraction (laughs) one is probably the most intense. They get so hype about it. And I put this creepy music timer on that's from YouTube. So they have like 45 (laughs) minutes and they'll say counting down. And so they get all like, oh my gosh, there's only 10 minutes left. We talk about how discussion is the backbone of her teaching style and so much more. And also, we have a special announcement here on Teacher's Lounge about the show. Later this month, on March 30th, we will be recording an episode of Teacher's Lounge live at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. I will be talking with Wayne Au. He is this year's Weisberg Chair in Human Rights and Social Justice at Beloit. He's an author and professor, and his work ranges from standardized testing to rethinking ethnic studies. And so we're going to be having a Q&A with the audience at the end. It's going to be awesome. And, of course, that conversation will end up here on this podcast feed. And later on, on this episode of the show, I will be talking with Wayne to preview the event. Now, in my conversation with Dominique, I allude to a story I wrote about teacher diversity and particularly about the goals the state of Illinois has to bring more diverse teachers into the classroom. And I wanted to find out if we've been hitting those goals. In so many Illinois schools, teachers don't look like their students. 27% of Illinois K-12 students are Hispanic, but only 8% of teachers. And about 17% of students are black, but only 6% of teachers. And this isn't just an Illinois issue. Across the country, students are much more racially diverse than their educators. A recent state-by-state analysis from the Education Trust found that Illinois has provided readily accessible data, set goals for teacher diversity, and is intentionally recruiting diverse educators. But in some of the state's most diverse districts, the disparity is still wide. For example, in Rockford Public Schools, race is pretty evenly distributed. Close to a third of students are white, a third are Hispanic, and a third are black. But Rockford teachers? Not so much. 87% are white, while 4% Hispanic and 4% are black. And that really hasn't changed in the last 10 years. 
Dr. Lori Alish Piper is the Dean of the College of Education at Northern Illinois University. Research has really indicated that if, for example, Black or African American students have a single Black or African American teacher in their elementary school experience, it makes them much more likely to graduate from high school. It increases the likelihood of them having higher grades and more positive attitudes towards school. Particularly if Black students have one Black teacher in elementary school, they're 13% more likely to enroll in college. And if they have two black teachers, it jumps to over 30%. This is referred to as the role model effect. Research also suggests that more diverse teachers benefit all students, both academically and socially. The Illinois State Board of Education has set several statewide goals to increase teacher diversity, starting with teacher candidate students at schools like NIU. Dr. Jen Kerms is the executive director of teaching and learning at the Illinois State Board of Education, and she says their strategic plan aimed to increase the number of students of color in educator prep programs like at NIU every year from 2020 through 2023. The specific goal was 5% per year for the three years of our strategic plan. Kerm says they've hit those goals in the first two years they have data for, and this past year it went up 6%. Now, back in 2018, the state board outlined a goal not just to increase the number of minority teacher candidates, but the number of licensed teachers by 2025. Kerm says they no longer have a specific goal for licensed teachers, but do have goals to increase retention rates. And over the past few years, the state and individual school districts have invested more and more into grow-your-own teacher programs. That's where schools seek out students in their own districts who might be interested in becoming a teacher or help staff already working in the schools get their teaching license. Kerm says there are more than 10,000 Illinois students participating in these early pathway programs. These programs are majority young people of color. Alish Piper and NIU have forged several different Grow Your Own Pathways with different school districts in Northern Illinois over the past few years. One of their partnerships is with the U46 school district in Elgin, one of the largest in the state. More than half of U46 students are Hispanic. And even though their teacher demographics don't perfectly match that, they have made some progress. In the past 10 years, the number of U46 teachers of color has increased 11%. Maria Perez is the director of human resources at U46, and she says they've invested a lot into their dual language programs. So that means needing to hire bilingual teachers. Perez says they recruit teachers from Mexico, Spain, and Puerto Rico. Recently, they've also started working with Tennessee State, a historically black university. We're trying to recruit and offer opportunities for students to come here and do their student teaching and in hopes of having them come and teach. The West Chicago Elementary School District 33 has also made strides to increase teacher diversity. 80% of their students are Hispanic. And the district has increased the number of Hispanic teachers by 10% since 2014, which, according to its HR director, Mark Truckenbrod, is also when it started developing a dual language program. Culture is a big part of educating. If I feel like I belong or if I know my teacher feels I belong in that classroom, then I'm more apt to connect. Since then, they've been actively trying to grow their own through partnerships with local universities and online coursework. Our teaching forces haven't been diversified enough, and that's a direct result of not having access to higher education. But Chalkenbrough says in West Chicago, they plan to keep diversifying their teacher workforce so the classroom truly reflects the community. And that's the hope others have as well for their districts and for all of Illinois. 
And the last story before my chat with Golden Apple Award finalist Dominique Yackley, my brief conversation with author and professor Wayne Ao ahead of our live conversation at Beloit College later this month. Again, he's an author and a professor at the University of Washington Bothell. The title of his Beloit residency is Teaching for Social Justice, Intersectionality, and K-12 Education. To you, what does it really mean in America in 2023 to actively teach for social justice? Where I always start is like, what is the reality of our students' lives? What issues are they and their communities facing, right? And those issues are always economic, they're cultural, they're political. Kids are dealing with houselessness, with racism, issues around class oppression, like their parents don't get paid enough at work and housing's too expensive and medicine's too expensive and all these things. And so if we're teaching for social justice, we're trying to attend to all these issues in ways that can literally make healthy kids, right? And I've put it that way because I think people think of teaching for social justice as some super radical thing. I would argue it's not. I, I want healthy children in the world. They want, I want them to be taken care of. I want their parents to be taken care of. And teaching for social justice is just one step as part of a broader project of, of making sure everyone can live well in, in this country. Intersectionality is a big part of that title, intersectionality in K through 12. And that the visit is also part of this like year-long focus that Beloit is having on intersectionality. And again, this happening at the same time that just the very idea of intersectionality is being attacked in states like Florida. So going into this residency at this specific moment, how are you feeling? Yeah. You know, I think to some degree, there's always some amount of nervousness, right? Um, I know it is, this is a very, very, very hot topic in the in probably the worst way possible. I've come under a threat and not physical attack, thankfully, but certainly plenty of hateful emails and mailings and that kind of stuff. And so I, I, I get that going to have this kind of discussion around intersectionality, you know, always carry some risk. And that's something that folks who work for justice always face, right? It's just, I think right now it's, it's kind of heightened, but I also feel like, you know, as long as people are open to the discussion, like I think a lot of folks don't get that intersectionality is not, you know, some huge sort of boogeyman that it gets, it gets painted to be right. It's, just basically recognizing the complexity of our identities and who we are as human beings, that we experience the world differently based on, you know, who we are, right? You know, I'm a cis heterosexual male. And so that impacts how I move through the world and how people perceive and interact with me. Um, but I'm also Chinese American. And that also puts a, a different bit of spin on that, right? To kind of keep going on that, like I know that you, your work talks a lot about the long history of like the struggle over content in school curriculum. And one of the things that struck me, and this is in your A Marxist Educator book, is about how it all comes back to a seemingly simple question, right, of what knowledge should children learn? You know, not just what counts as important knowledge, but who gets to decide that? And really, it's it's a, both a simple question, but it's also, it implies so much, right? Like, so what knowledge should our children learn, right? If you ask that to 100 parents, you're probably going to get at least 99 different answers. Like, I want my kid to get a job, you know, or some parents are like, prep for college. And some folks like me are like, well, I want my kid to like understand themselves and learn about the world. And what makes it more complicated than even that is just that we're actually talking about literally American identity. I'm using American very specifically as like United States of America. And that's why it becomes so contested. And that's why you see like what's happening in Florida um, in other states where, you know, folks feel like, you know, what we teach in public schools is a reflection of how we define America. And it's also going to help shape these kids' understanding and their own identities as quote unquote Americans, right? And so, you know, I think there's a larger question that folks should ask that I think they'd be scared to. I mean, so many people's common sense just presumes that 
teachers are all powerful and like and what kids learn in school determines who they are almost as if it's like in stone right and honestly if you look at like research like i mean yes schools are important and, and what we learn in school does shape that students spend most of their time outside of schools number one um in their lives um and number two um you know especially when you get to like high school like they spend a lot of their time like rejecting the adults in their lives and that includes their teachers right and so like all these fears around indoctrination and that kind of stuff are often misplaced and kids are actually a lot smarter and a lot more a lot sharper critical thinkers than we give them credit for all right wait, well i've got i've got one more question for you and this one's another another broad one but it's kind of one that i just like to end all my interviews on what is an important education story that you think we're not talking nearly enough about everything that we know about education points to the fact that you know success in schooling almost always depends on factors that are in our communities. But even if we're going to look at test scores, you know, we know that somewhere around 70% or more of any test score is actually like statistically based on non-school factors, whether they have access to food, whether they have access to housing, whether they have access to medical care, and also like the education level of their parents. There's all these factors that actually impact what shows up in schools way more than almost anything in schools. Public schools do all sorts of things. Schools do all sorts of things around knowledge and culture um, and socialization and learning. Learning happens there, obviously. Um, it's central to the enterprise of it. Like that's all happening. It's just not really measured in the same kind of ways on tests. And frankly, I don't want to measure on tests. So so that all that's just to say is that to me, the the, the story that that no one talks about is, is the fact that we can fix education if we actually decided to fix these bigger issues in society. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Golden Apple Award finalist and DeKalb fifth grade teacher, Dominique Yackley. First off, I feel like I should say congratulations. Thank you, I appreciate that. That you got uh, your finalist for, yes. the, for the Golden Apple Award. Correct, yes, one of 30. One of 30, one that's 30. huge. I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of teachers, so one of 30 is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I think they said there was 571 nominations, so I'm completely honored. How did you yeah. find out? Did they do the thing where they like surprised you with it? Or was it just an email? It was just an email saying that I was nominated. That was probably in December, uh -huh. maybe. And then, oh, it's it's a really strict protocol to be, you know, a finalist. You have to send in a video of you teaching. Really? You need references. Yeah. Like you're so doing it's the Ed really... TPA again yeah. or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to do that TPA. But that, that, that would be... A good comparison, so yeah. Do you get to yeah. choose? Like, obviously, you get to choose which video, like, example of your teaching you get to send in. Yes. It's like a highlight reel of your teaching. You do, and it, it has to be less than five minutes. So, you know, it won't even capture the beginning, the middle, and the end of a lesson. So you have to really pick that. What did that you really... go with? I went with a lesson where um, we talked about what makes a text authentic. And I teach fifth grade. Yeah. Um, but I have some really good uh, critical thinkers. That's what we work on an entire year. So um, what makes a text authentic? Um, and we read the book Gallimoto, which is about an African-American boy um, who makes this Gallimoto, which is like a, a toy that yeah. they use in Africa. And they make it from wires and string and whatever they have. Um, and so we read that and we discussed it. And then I showed the picture of the author and the illustrator. And my class literally like gasped. Really? Because they didn't realize that the author and illustrator were Caucasian. And so we discussed that and they're like, well, why is that? And does it make the text authentic? Mm. Um, and so we discussed that and what they feel like are the requirements. And then I just 
ask them, well, because some people said that, yeah, if you visit Africa and you re- do your research, that you should be able to write a text about it. And then mm-hmm. others disagreed. And I said, well, would I then be able to write a text from the perspective of a transgender male? Right. And yeah. they said, well, maybe no. You actually have to be within the experience. So a lot of critical thinking, a lot of perspectives. That's really cool, yeah. especially in like a fifth grade classroom where I think that some people probably assume that those type of like, you know, really topics. complicated topics don't get tossed around until maybe they're in high school. But these fifth mm-hmm. graders, oh, they're yeah. able to handle it. Absolutely. And we build that culture all through the school year. So um, they're there. And a lot of children, they know more than we, they think. We know. I feel um, like that's a huge thing in education, yeah. honestly. I was just yes. having this conversation the other day is that people don't give kids enough credit and don't they think do that not. they are as sharp as they really are. Oh, they're sharp. <laughs> they know a lot more than we think. <laughs> and they have media. You know, they have social media at their fingertips. So they know a lot more than, than we think they do. And they can handle a lot more. In December, when you got like found out about the nomination and everything, mm-hmm. that was via email. Was this one via email to do two? Yes, I'm just thinking correct. in my mind that I, I got to go to last year when they did like the Illinois Teacher of the Year, mm-hmm. and I got to be there like in the classroom when the person got, and they were like completely caught uh, caught yes. off guard and were like, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, what is happening?" <laughs> Which is so they will fun. do that with the final ten. So you got to stay on your guard now. I any, do. Any moment now, someone could be walking <laughs> through your classroom, and if they've got a plaque behind their back, you yes. know what's going on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, but that would be exciting too. That would be surprise. awesome. I'll probably be overwhelmed yeah. as well. Um, my students might be able to see me um, emotional for once. But yeah. <laughs> so you're at Founders Elementary. Correct. H- how yes. long? How long have you been at Founders? Uh, this is my sixth year teaching at Founders. Wow, that's awesome! And yes. fifth grade that whole yes. time. I love fifth grade. Yes, fifth grade the whole time, um, and I've taught two years of middle school in Rockford and two years of fifth grade in Rockford prior. So uh, my mom, both my mom and my stepmom are both teachers. Oh, they're both awesome people. The best. <laughs> my mom right now is in her last year before retirement. So oh, she is on full farewell her. tour, victory lap, just yes. shaking hands and kissing babies on the way out the door. Oh, I'm sure she'll be missed. Yeah, it, you build relationships and oh you bond and, and it's a lifetime bond, really. But all that's to say is that I'm not a teacher. But when, mm-hmm. I, was in, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I got to help teach fourth and fifth grade PE <laughs> class. Oh, which was awesome. And I, I just from that experience, I always took it like thought about fifth grade as like kind of a really nice education sweet spot where they're it like is. just old enough to know how to do everything on their own, mm-hmm. have those deep conversations, have those developed critical thinking skills. Yes. But they haven't reached peak like middle school sarcasm, you know, disenchantment with school yet. You know, very true. Very true. Um they still like the affection and the yeah, fist yeah, bumps yeah, yeah, yeah. and the handshakes and the <laughs> and the treats and but they do have a good sense of humor because you have to have a sense of humor oh, yeah. to work with really third on up I'd say um, yeah the sense of humor the sarcasm you know speaking of of, of the you know they like to play games and everything I mm-hmm. saw in your nomination in the, the email that we got that there is a game that you guys play in the class <laughs> that is specifically around Takis. What is what is this? It What's going is. on there? Because as a as a big fan mm-hmm. of the Takis brand, I'm very intrigued. You are a big fan. Okay. <laughs> so Takis over Hot Cheetos then? Definitely. Ta- I, I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. Like, no pun intended, a hot mm-hmm. take, but way better. Like, like substantially way better, better wow. than Hot Cheetos. Do you stand okay. on one side or the I other? I do. I'm more on the Hot Cheetos side. Really? Is this yes. a lifelong thing for Hot Cheetos? Because I, 
when I was a kid, yes. really didn't like the hot Cheetos, and then oh. the Takis I came to as an adult. So maybe that. See, has I started early with the hot Cheetos, and you, then so <laughs> then I tried the Takis. And I'm like, that's mm. what they say. You got to start them early with that. Yes, you do. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I didn't know about Takis until my first year teaching in Rockford. Right. Yeah. And so then I'm thinking about these students' culture, and I'm like, okay, I have to integrate this in some way or another. So yeah, I've created a Taki math game that we play every morning, and then um, Takis in the morning. Well, just the game. <laughs> yes. And so I don't okay. know if you ever played Sparkle when you were a child. Oh, maybe. What is it? Yeah, it's like a spelling game. So you, you're all standing up and the teacher might say spell category. And so I'll say C. The next student says A, T. And if you know, get, you get it wrong, you're out. Mm-hmm. So I play Taki. Um, and that's a math game because we definitely need to better our math skills. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and so still standing up in a circle and uh, one student will say five. The other student decides if it's going to be addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division. Mm-hmm. So they might say times, and the next student says four, and the next student has to give the answer. Or if they're incorrect, sit down. And if it's correct, the other student will say taki. Oh, yes. do we ever, first, I guess some of the winners of the game, do we ever get takis involved? And, like, do we ever throw around the snacks? We haven't thrown around the snacks. Oh. But I have given takis as, right. as treats or incentives. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we might not want the parents to keep that in the <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm curious about kind of your uh, your teacher origin story. First of all, did you grow up in the larger northern Illinois area or no? So I grew up in Calumet City. Uh, my family, okay, yeah. uh, a lot of my family and cousins and such are from Chicago. I grew up in Calumet City. Uh, I went to private school up mm. until sophomore year. Um, then we moved to an area that was a little different than Calumet City. Yeah. Um, almost a culture shock for me. Um, and then I went to public school for the first time. Like I literally begged my mom, I just want to, I don't want to wear uniforms anymore. I want to be cool. <laughs> um, and that was not a good experience for me. Um, public school. Yeah. Public school was not a good experience for me. Sophomore year. It was a lot of bullying, mm. um, things I wasn't used to. And so I did, I dropped out actually. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then went back to school to get my GED when I was 20, um, and received a scholarship from those scores. And I was like, Oh, this has never been a conversation with me. College, oh, for you. And so that's what started my college career, really, because I, I feel like I've been <laughs> going ever since. Yeah. Um, so I went for early childhood education, So what, got my associates. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, like, at what point in the process did being a teacher specifically come about? Was that something that, that came to you? Like, you know, when you were a teenager, was it later when you started college? Like, at what point? It came later when I started yeah. college. I actually wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at 20, I think I was just a little lazy with that idea because I didn't want to go to college for four years and then law school for four years. So I was like, mm-hmm. um, and thought about how I do want to work with children. So I did early childhood and decided I wanted to work with older children and then got my bachelor's in elementary. Interesting. You know, like you said, I mentioned that like this show is built around like people being nominated for the show. And so that is about like having a teacher in your life or your community that you think is inspiring. And yes. I, I feel like most people that become teachers have teachers that they had when they were a kid that either inspired them or like helped them want to become a teacher themselves. And I feel like we either get it two ways, right? It's like I had a bad experience and yes. want to be the teacher that I didn't have Correct, or yes. I had an amazing teacher and I wanted to be that just like him for or someone her. else mm-hmm. sometimes it's a mixture sometimes you have both, both experiences yes. too um so for me it was I definitely had an educator in my eighth grade year still Facebook friends with her now oh yeah um who was an amazing 
um, educator. Um, just really engaging. You know, school then, not to say my age, but school then was a little bit more, eh, wasn't as engaging. We didn't have the technology and things like that. And so she was amazing um, in so many ways. And I felt validated in her class because um, it was my brother and I who were really the only students of color then um, in Calumet City at a private school. And But I felt validated still in that classroom and that meant the world to me. Um, and then the bullying in school, I think, is what helps me, though, to help children, I can recognize bullying in my classroom in the school setting almost immediately. And so that helps me to be really stern and strict on that. Like I, if, if there's one thing students can say about me, you'll probably hear consistently that they feel safe. And so that's most important. And I think that experience, although very traumatic in that time, has really helped me be a better, you know, a good teacher, a good educator. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, yeah. I'm sorry that you went through that when you were no. in school though. That's, that yeah. sucks for everyone, yeah. right? Oh, it's, it's yeah. Well, actually, one of the things too that we we saw with with your nomination is that someone mentioned about like they were describing you and they said that the way that she inspires students while also holding them accountable. And I feel like that's kind of the exact same situation you're talking about, right? Like yes. where we keep keep a safe space, yes, but also we don't tolerate bullying, right? So there's yes. some accountability there, which I feel like is kind of just generally like the balance that the teaching is, right? Yes, is it like, is the balance, and that is it, it's a skill. Yeah, <laughs> it's a skill um, that you know. It has to be practiced, really, but um, having rigor but having love is is just the really the the perfect recipe. Well, and it's interesting too because I feel like it like makes intuitive sense to people mm -hmm. that like you know school should be a safe place. We want to create that, but I think that a lot of people that maybe aren't teachers maybe don't really understand like mm -hmm. what developing that culture actually looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Where we yes. hear things like social emotional learning mm -hmm. or restorative practices. And some people mm -hmm. may not really know what that means from the perspective of someone just like building that every day in like a fifth grade classroom, you know? Yes, correct. Funny though, and it is, it's, it, I, I tell my students all the time, I, I hate to sound cringy, but you guys <laughs> really are the hope. Like they're so open yeah. to having that diversity and being um, respectful and accepting of others. So there's not as much work that we think it takes to to keep them there in that in that they're cultural beings. And yeah. They want to be cultural beings. And it, it if we could just really embrace that and nurture it, I think we'd be we'd have a really bright future. I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. And I saw that you helped kind of build a diversity committee for the um for the school improvement team, right? Yes, correct. What, what was talk me through how did that happen? Like, what does that look like? Well, first of all, we have a social justice committee. Yeah. Um, and so I was on that, and I thought, why don't we have this at the school level? Um, and a goal from now is to also have a diversity committee at the student level because they mm. have a lot to say. Interesting. Um, and and we teach them to be active. You know, not just. Not just learning these things and these skills, but to be vocal about it and, and to be active in it. And so why not have a committee that has students that want to talk about um, topics that affect them? Right. Um, so we do have it at the adult level, and I'm working on it. Hopefully we'll have it next year, um, a whole social justice club or committee for students, starting at the elementary level. Because middle school and high school oftentimes do have these clubs, um, but I, I think it's extremely important that we're teaching these things but how do we put it into practice with students then if we're not allowing them to be those mature elementary students that they can be they're very creative 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because I feel like people like to talk a lot about how, like, we need to be, you know, getting more student voices and Mm -hmm. getting student voices involved. And like, well, are you... Do they have that platform? And also, are you sure? Because they might have some critical things to say. Yes. Right. And they do. (laughs) And they do. Yeah. Um, So I attend the social justice um, camp that NIU hosts each summer. Um, Going to that every year helps us uh, collect more strategies and trends that are going on and just adding it to your curriculum and adding it to your practices in the classroom. Right. Because I know that in, in DeKalb, They've they've started the you know social justice committees mm-hmm. and there's been a diversity plan over the last maybe five six years or so. Yes, they started to focus a little bit more on that stuff. Do we feel like do you feel like the district is making like decent progress on some of those those goals? Do you feel that? I think we're making progress. Yeah. Um, I think it would be up to uh, individuals to discern if it's yeah fair. If it's decent progress right, right yeah <laughs> depends on the people that are requiring the progress right which i i to be one of them um but i'm always one of those people who if you're gonna talk it then be a part of it and not yeah. complain and so that's why i'm on the social justice um committee and then the diversity committee at my school i will say my school at founders we have made a lot of progress as well um we're doing a cultural night, a family cultural night that one of my colleagues is heading. And so um, we'll be able to celebrate there. Um, so we're, we're really trying. And I, I have to give my hats off to that for the district. Our, our community is becoming more diverse, and we need to celebrate that and welcome it. You, know, you mentioned when you, were, when you were growing up, when you were in Calumet City, when you were in that uh, private school, mm-hmm. that you were one of the like, few students, you and your brother were one of the few students of color, right? Yes. And then you're in a spot now in, in DeKalb, right, which is an extremely diverse district. It is, and growing, even more diverse. Even yes, more diverse. I, I think it's like 29% Hispanic, like mm-hmm. 27% uh, black when it comes to students, right? But then and it, founders even... Oh, really? Greater, yes. Yes. At Founders, I believe it's um, 40% Hispanic, um, almost like 29 black and 27 white. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then different languages, different cultures. Yeah. So we have to be aware and we have to be educated on it. We just did a story that was about like all of the statewide kind of initiatives to make the teacher workforce mm-hmm. more diverse too. Cause right. Cause it's yes. like super diverse school district when it comes to students. But I think that like, I think that DeKalb is still only like 3% of teachers are, are black. So yes. right. Which is always a work in progress. And, we are definitely lacking diversity in, in, in the staff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mentioned right at the, before we started recording <laughs> about uh, how I was thinking about how this was like the three year anniversary of a lot of the beginning of the pandemic kind Mm -hmm, of like officially mm -hmm. and it's been fascinating to get teachers perspectives over the last couple years of what they're and I I won't drag you back to like March (laughs) of 2020 and have to live through that trauma again but I am curious now that we're in the place that we are now you know in 2023 of you know your students now in your fifth grade class were in second grade when all that started which is pretty wild yes yes um, yeah, there was a lot of, I'd say, social, emotional, like we can see, we can see the impact yeah, that COVID say, had on the social, emotional of our students. Um, what does that look like now? It looks like excitement actually now though for really? students what do you mean? because they, it, it was so long that they weren't able to engage with each other, number one. And then, um, even, even with staff and adults, they really yearn 
those relationships. And so I, for me, I see a lot of like, wow, I can see that we haven't talked to each other in a while. <laughs> There's a lot of chatty, a lot of chattiness, and that's fine because I love discussion. Like 80% of my uh, classroom time is discussion. So that's fine, but you could just tell that they are they have missed all that social, emotional, and just engaging and conversing with others. That's better than like the alternative, right? Where like mm-hmm. you go through that and then you'd fear that students would be really like drawn in and reluctant to mm-hmm. to re-engage with it. So at least it's okay. good, especially, you know, for you at the elementary school level, the kids are like, let's get back into it. I'm excited to talk. Yes. And it's the way you set up your environment. I will say that. Yeah. Um, you can't really get by in my class without engaging. Um, it's built on discussion. So I, I don't, I, that's what I see mostly. Um, I will say I've seen an uptick you know, district-wide and just nationwide, like, in behaviors. Um, but I think some students still have to learn how to do school, per se. Right, because that was stuff yeah. that they were still building some of those mm-hmm. foundations yeah, when the second everything grade got still, upended. Absolutely. Did you have anything that you feel like you learned? Because obviously, like, you don't want to go back to, like, teaching fifth grade over Zoom <laughs> or anything. No one wants to do that. But do you feel like throughout the course of the last couple of years, were there any like silver linings that you felt like you could take from that experience and be like, well, I can, I can use this and mm-hmm. apply this to my classroom going forward? Oh, so many. Yeah. Um, Technology-wise, oh my goodness. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we learned a lot. Um, and luckily we can now use that if perhaps we have a snow day. Now we have that option to teach virtually and we all have those skills now, but there's so many programs and apps and, and things that I learned how to use. Um, digital whiteboards, um, just all these things that were, were still engaging for students and then I learned. Um, but also, I, I think there was a, a growth in community. I know that um, many of our team members at Founders and I'm sure at the other schools, we got in our cars and we delivered materials all yeah. year. Um, so we were able to meet children at their homes and things like and how excited they are to see that you know, we actually drive and we're out there. <laughs> you exist as people <laughs> yes, outside the classroom. Yes, and so they were so excited to see us um, show up to their home. And I think, again, that shows that, like, hey, we care. You know, they see that as, oh, my teacher does care about me. They're here, like, right here at my home, delivering these things that are going to be necessary for me to use this year. Um, and the families really appreciate it as well. So there was this partnership. Right, and you yeah. probably try to keep that going to, you know, maybe yes. not necessarily delivering things to their house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely the partnership. Yes, it is a partnership um, all t- at all times. But yeah, I, I just think it was, um, it, it was helpful for them to see us out in the community at their homes and in their neighborhoods and things like that. Yeah. yeah. How much, speaking of like technology, mm-hmm. you know, I think that people think that like, you know, high school, you have it in your head that a lot of those are one-to-one and they're on Chromebooks all day and they're working that way. And then really, really little kids in like first and second grade, people are like, don't, we don't need them in front of screens. They'll have plenty of time. When it comes to fifth grade, again, like you guys are right in the middle there. Are they, yeah. are they on technology a lot or what does that look like? I think it, 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 it depends on whose classroom, but specifically for mine, yeah. I would say they're on their Chromebook maybe an hour out of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, like I'd say 70 to 80% of my classroom time is discussion. So I'll introduce a topic, a skill, or whatever content we're going over, and then they're leading the discussion. I'm just here to prompt and and, and just have their back on it. Um, 
Chromebooks, we we do have district initiatives sure. that I have to follow. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some there's there's pieces of the curriculum that are via the Chromebook that I I do get them on, and here and again I get them on escape rooms, digital escape rooms because it's engaging. So they use it that way as well. What's a digital escape room? Ooh. Have you been to a physical escape room? I have. And actually, bring us back to the pandemic conversation. Yes. I went to one in like January of 2020, right before the pandemic. Oh, and guess no. what the theme was? It was like <laughs> medicine, medical horror. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's, you that's be like, perfect. Okay, this is appropriate right now, actually. Um, okay. Um, so, yes, I have been to one real escape room. Yes. Did you escape? We we did, but we probably got way too much help from the oh, random guy that worked there. Okay, so I think okay. that he kind of let us off well, easy, if I'm going to be honest here. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so digital escape rooms, um, for example, especially math, we do a lot of math ones. It might be, really? for example, fractions, and um, they have to solve problems, look for hints, and then they can go to the next Google Doc, like if you hit next. They don't put in the right code, and they can't proceed to the next Ooh, and one. they're working in teams yes yes is it the same thing where there's like different themes where you'd be like there are different themes yes i'm There'll trapped be... in an airpod in outer space <laughs> yeah. i mean i need fractions Ooh. to get out you okay, can have that's Peter, a, I like it's a free that. idea you can have that one i might have to go create that i'll, I'll make sure i say that. <laughs> you can here. create your own uh, escape you can, rooms yes oh, this is exciting yeah, i want to hear what yes. are what are some of your favorites what have you done um there's a lost in the classroom one <laughs> um there's a someone missing their homework and who took it type mm. of one. Um, yeah, I'd say those are my favorites. The <laughs> fraction one is probably the most intense or more challenging one, but they get so hype about it that it, I, I don't know. I love it. And I put this creepy music timer on that's from YouTube. So they have like 45 <laughs> minutes and they'll say counting down. And so they get all like, oh my gosh, there's only 10 minutes left. Um, it, it's exciting. That's where you And they really... have to work together. So they have to collaborate and it's building off people's knowledge. Well, how did you solve it that way? I solved it this way. I didn't get that. Okay, let's talk about it. And then they have to get out. So I, I, I love that. You really see the personality types come out during those oh, things. Oh, yes. And I know you you're, the... you're a teacher, so I imagine you're very type A, like group setting. I'm going to take control. I got this because that's how I am too, Are for you sure. Type oh, a? yeah, yeah. I am. I try to, I have to back up some sometimes, <laughs> just really let them work it out and get through it. I just teach them their, their sentence starters, their um, problem solving um, starters. They can say like, I didn't get that. How did you get that? Let's work together. Let's change it. Or because in the beginning it'll be, you're wrong. I didn't get that. You know, let's, <laughs> let's change the language a little bit, but I, I just love them. They're, they're great. And they're great helpers. They know, everyone knows everybody's personality, so they know the one that might struggle and need a little bit more assistance or the one that knows a lot and they're going to ask them for, you know, a little bit of assistance or whatever. Um, but it, it's one of the more engaging activities that they, like, look forward to. And I usually use it as, like, a review before an assessment or something like that. That's great. Yeah. It's it's so funny. Like, you know, again, I mentioned my mom is a, both my mom and stepmom were not only teachers, but they taught at like mostly the elementary level. Oh. And so my mom did fifth grade and then she, or sorry, she did kindergarten and then she moved up oh. into like the middle school and did some art and music. And my stepmom did math wow. and then some elementary school art for, for a really long time. And if there's one thing Very I know cool. about teaching elementary school is that you just become a treasure trove of hilarious stories of things that kids do on a daily basis. Oh my goodness. And so, you every know, every day, uh, every day, mm -hmm. 
I don't want to, you know, put you on the spot to be like, what's the best one you've ever heard? But when it comes to like over the past couple weeks or month, is there a, just a great fifth grade story that you have? Um, I had a, a little cute one actually earlier this week. And I'm a goofball too, so that that's helpful. Um, I had a student... <laughs> I had a student who said he had a pencil in his pocket. And I don't know why, but in my head, I said out loud, I said, that sounds like a Dr. Seuss book title or right. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the students laughed. They said, it does. I was like, we got this. I wrote it down on some chart paper. I said, okay, I have a pencil in my pocket. So the next student raised their hand and they're like, and I don't want to drop it. So we have like these 10 lines to this rhyme that we're making. I said, I'll just keep it up here and we'll work on it the rest of the year. But... Um, it was just funny, the lines that they, they make. And they're like, Mrs. Jackley, we're going to be rap stars, and I'll be your background dance, and I'll be this and that. <laughs> they are funny. I just love them. Um, we got to find an illustrator for your pencil in my pocket book. You know yeah, what I mean? Could we? We got to get that going. Yes. Fox in the Box Who. Yeah. I wanted that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, they're hilarious. But every day there's, there's something. Um, of course. Of course. I even have to laugh, shame on me, but I do have to laugh at sometimes the language or something. Um, we do Wordle and Spelling Bee. Do you do that? Oh, yeah. No, we. Th- I went through a very deep Wordle phase. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh. I had a group chat going with oh, everyone submitting their scores on a daily basis. Okay. So my students, and there's some who are extremely competitive on it, <laughs> um, and hopefully this is appropriate, but they were giggling. And I said, what are we laughing at? Oh, no. And they're like... We came across a word. I said, "Well, were you able to utilize it?" And they said, "Yeah." I said, "But what was funny? I just, I just want, I'm just interested." And they said, "Nude." I said, "Oh, okay." I said, "But you guys do realize that's a color, right?" And another student said, "Yes, it is because I was at the store with my mom and I had a purse and I, when I looked at the tag, it said color nude." <laughs> so that is the perfect level of like fifth grade humor too. It you know? is, it is, and they giggled and I let them and it was funny. But then they also learned a new vocabulary that like nude doesn't just mean nude; it, it's also a color as well. <laughs> um, so it's just funny, oh, yeah, and you yeah. just have to let them be funny. You just have to let them have a sense of humor. You can't be too strict with that. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so I've only got a few more questions for you. Mm-hmm. And we like to end on a few that are a little bit more like open-ended. Okay. And so this one, I'll ask it a couple different ways. But what's something about being a teacher that you wish more people knew about or think is more important than people realize who aren't in the classroom every day? Hmm. Children have something to say. Hmm. And... There's no curriculum for that. There's no directive for that. There's no pacing guide for that. Um, There's no rules for that. Um, I just think we kind of forgot to let children be children. Um, And so in the classroom, I just want people to know that we need to be a little bit forgiving with the process of just kind of forgive yourselves and just let let them be children. Let them learn through play and learn through conversation and discussion, um, and they can they can handle a lot. Um, I think a lot of people also don't realize how many students we have in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> how many do you have in your classroom? Um, actually, I'm lucky. I have 19, um, and that's doing well. Yeah, that's... Some people have 28. Yeah. Um, so 
just you know just be understanding we have 28 different personalities <laughs> in the classroom including the teacher sometimes so just know that everybody's doing their best the staff and the students yeah yeah and they're under a lot of pressure right a lot of pressure yes like when it comes to both you know the school and you've got your assignments you've got your standardized mm-hmm. tests especially with the last couple of years people are like we got to get them back to grade level on this particular test or whatever yes. not to mention so many assessments not to mention what's going on outside of the classroom which is yes. you know probably more important in so many ways than what is or like in influential as to what goes on in the classroom yes. right yes absolutely yeah. so we kind of have to be able to have that intuition that okay this isn't right or at least this isn't right for this particular person because I know their personality and, okay, something's going on here. Let's mm-hmm. dig a little deeper. Was it like yeah. your convers- or your classroom being so like conversation heavy mm-hmm. and like discussion based, mm-hmm. was that something that you just like intuitively gravitated towards as a teacher when you got into it? Or was it something that as you spent your first couple of years in the classroom, you started to realize more and more like work than you should lean into? I think it happened naturally. I think I went into it thinking, okay, you have to really have your classroom management down. You have to do this. You have to do that. You can't let them get over on you or smell fear or whatever. Smell fear. (laughs) (laughs) Smells like Takis. Yes, yes. And so I think the more I just like taught, children just have conversations with you. And then it's like, okay, wow, I'm learning more about them. They're learning more about me and they're learning more about each other. So why isn't education more just discussion based in general, um, especially at the older, you know, in the older grades. So um, it's just funny and you learn so much, so much. Um, I know you asked about funny stories earlier, but I did a um, a lesson on sampling, music sampling. Uh And um, we listened to James Brown because he's one of the most sampled. And that linked to, or Elvis Presley song, mm-hmm. um, Hound Dog. And then I played a snippet of Doja Cat's, um, yeah, you're laughing. <laughs> and my students like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then other students are like, oh, my mom plays this type of music and I know it's time to clean. Or my mom plays this music when this, <laughs> or my dad plays this music that. So it's like, we're learning about culture. We're learning about people um, and we're learning about traditions. And so, yeah, discussion, I, I actually can't even see it any other way. I don't even know what class would be like without, <laughs> without discussions. You started with, with James Brown. Mm-hmm. So that seems appropriate, especially you're from <laughs> Calumet City. Yes. One of my favorite movies of all time, The Blues Brothers. Oh, yes. James Brown yes. plays uh, yes. the Reverend Cleophas mm-hmm. James, mm-hmm. whose church is in... Calumet City. Calumet City. There we go. It all comes oh, back around. Perfect. It does. It does come out back around. Um, yeah. All right, well, one of the last ones we'll leave you with. Again, same type of broad question. Mm-hmm. What's something about education in general mm-hmm. that you wish more people knew about? The truth, because that's just the type of person I am. I wish people, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I wish people knew um, that education itself has become something that's not focused on education. Mm. How do you mean? I mean, I feel like it's become more of a political thing rather than a let's educate thing right people like to use it for like a political battlegrounds on on certain issues yes and it does it just doesn't need to be that we just need to make sure that everybody is treating everybody with respect and love and um and true history so that we don't repeat it absolutely well 
Dominic, is there anything else that you wanted to mention on your way out? Anything that you wanted to, to say that we didn't get to? I'm just really, I'm very grateful to, um, well, first of all, whoever nominated me, but, yes. um, and then Golden Apple for considering um, me. I'm very honored and um, I'm glad to represent D428 proudly. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get awesome guests like Dominique. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it. If you like what we do, it is the best way to help us out so we can get even more perspectives on the show. Please do subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show, including our live show in Beloit, Wisconsin. You can find that newsletter and this episode webpage at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for the music you hear each and every episode. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.